Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. The Week That Was with Joe Palmisano. It is January 11th in the year of the perfect vision. And you have tuned in to The Week That Was. Uh... We had a week in which uh, a native son may return to lead our Browns out of the wilderness. But is the wilderness too thick to allow him in? (sighs) While medical marijuana may be allowed for the Browns and Bengals fans, which may be needed, finality was brought at least legally to the tragic killing of Sylvia McGee. Many people wondered if we were going to war and if the draft was being reinstated. The stock market hit 29,000 and Taco Bell is offering jobs for $100,000 a year salary. Wow. So what happened on this date in history? In 1935, think about that, 1935. Amelia Earhart was the first person to perform a solo flight across the Pacific Ocean. She was the first person to ever have flown across these waters alone, and she flew from Honolulu, Hawaii, to California. In 1964, Three students were tried and convicted on this day for skipping school a few months prior to that date. Tried and convicted for skipping school in 1964. They also were tried and guilty of vandalism and looting. One of the boys was sentenced to a youth service board, and the other boy and girl were suspended from school. Things have changed. Say, there had to be a little bit more to that story. No, there really wasn't. There really wasn't. No? No. And in 1964, think about this. In 1964, Mm. the U.S. Surgeon General reported that smoking may lead to major health problems, including lung cancer. 1964. Before that, they were like, hey, do it all you want. You'll be fine. I know. Actually... There were there were ads and things back before that that said it was good for you. You know, there's nutrients in it. Well, it's like when you watch like old movies, like and something from the '40s, and like they're all somebody smoking. comes home, they're smoking a cigarette, mm-hmm. like as they walk in the door. Yeah. Then they're like, "Let me pour you a drink too, because <laughs> you know there's no problems with this. This couldn't go wrong." I know, and and it was, uh, and, and then it, following that, they're like, "Oh, I have to go drive to Hawaii real fast." Like, and then you always, they always showed them spitting tobacco out of it, just a little, like that, because they had no filters. <laughs> the camels, remember those things? Oh my God, my grandfather used to smoke, and I'm getting off track here, but my grandfather 
My great-grandfather used to smoke these things called Denobilis. They're Italian cigars. Ooh. They're crooked. They're like sticks. It looks like a stick, and it's dark brown, and it's nasty. Nasty. The strongest cigar you have ever seen. He used to smoke them, and then the, when they got too small, he'd crush them and put them in a pipe and then smoke them. Denobilis. I don't even know if they make them anymore. I haven't seen them. There was a Surgeon General warning on that, too. Well, yeah, probably in 1920. It's good. <laughs> All right, we have, uh, we have many, many stories to go into today. Uh, and, and I hope to do that. I hope to get through all these. But one story that has been going on for weeks now uh, involves the culmination of the latest process uh, in the turnstile that is the Cleveland Browns. Now, I said earlier, I said before, and I b- totally believe it, and I'm staying with this, that Mike McCarthy... Uh, had the proven resume and the background to be the best choice for the Cleveland Browns. But that ship has sailed. Now, when Mike McCarthy interviewed for the Browns, in the middle of his interview, Jimmy Haslam had a press conference, (laughs) right in the middle of it, had a press conference saying that we're going to cast a wide net. Now, how classless is that to do that during... A gentleman's interview. Whereas when he went to Dallas, he stayed at Jerry Jones' home, which is probably like a hotel. But I got to imagine the Haslam's home. We got you the penthouse suite. (laughs) We built you. We built your own extension to our house. This is called the McCarthy wing. (laughs) You know, and and I got to think. You had the opportunity to hire that man. You had the opportunity to say, because at that time, the head coach hadn't been fired at Dallas. You had the opportunity to say, all right, we're going to offer you so much that you can't turn it down. We're going to give you full control. We're going to have a guy who's taken his team to nine playoffs in 13 years, has a, has an incredible record, Super Bowl ring, a guy that could turn this program around and and bring it stability. He's only 56 years old. But no, they had to go through the process. And so here we are. Well, and the amazing thing, too, is that the Cowboys interviewed him and brought him in basically knowing that they wanted to offer him the job. Like basically saying like, hey, you know, this is almost a formality at this point. Well, and and that's what I'm saying the Browns should have done, but they didn't. They went through the process, even though they had a guy like that. But anyway, that ship has sailed. Now it's about a feel-good story, and the one that I think is the, the perfect time and the perfect person, and that is Josh McDaniels. Now, anytime you hire a coordinator, it's a risk, and Josh McDaniels will be no different. But there will be a passion like no other to succeed because he's coming home. He's got the qualifications. He's been a coordinator, a, a successful coordinator. He's a good person. It, it's the right hire. So now what are they waiting for? So today at 930, we're going to hear from Steve Dorshuk, who brilliantly covers the Browns.
for the Canton Repository. I think Steve is one of the best in the business. His articles recently have been all over the place. People have used his quotes, his his writing in all across the country. Um, it, it, no one works harder in coming to Browns than Steve Dorshik uh, and, and writes better. We're going to speak live with Steve Dorshik at 930 unless there's an announcement that he has to rush out to, and we're going to discuss this new process, the three or two remaining candidates, and the future of the Browns. As I said earlier, we're going to have more stories. We're also going to have the latest news with J. David Russ. We're going to have latest in sports with John Bazika. If he hears something that comes through on the Browns and other things, we're going to also have our trifecta contest, and we have much more, and it's all under the control, all under the control of the one and only Stephen Potter. Stay tuned. You know, I um, I was thinking of uh, all the things that are that are going on in the world, and I was thinking about. Uh, I was talking to Stephen about. I've gone. I've gone to a plant-based diet, my wife and I, and. Um, now listen to this. This is me. I'm going to buy an electric car, and I'm going plant-based. I feel like, really? But I've dropped five pounds on this diet. The food is, is and, and this isn't a diet. This is some, a lifestyle change. The food is incredible. It's incredible. And you know what? They have plant-based uh, cream cheese. Plant-based Parmesan cheese. You can buy everything. Butter, plant-based butter, and they don't taste any different. And and I feel great. It is unbelievable. So now I'm trying to think. I'm just, you know, people look at me as this um, conservative. I am conservative to a certain extent. Um. I think my wife said it to me today. She said, you're going to the dark side. She said, you, you're you now plant-based. You're essentially vegan. And you're buying an electric car. What is going on? My question is, are you going to vote for Joe Biden? <laughs> <laughs> I said I would before. Um, I, I said that I would before, remember? I said if he was nominated the last go-round, I would have voted for him. I don't know now. I don't know now. Some of the things that he's done, that that speech he gave, you know, I don't know if I would right now. But I'm open. I'm, I am open. Wow, I'm really changing. I'm on the dark side. Luke. <laughs> anyway, let's do our contest. All right. This is a Browns uh, trivia trifecta contest. And here are your answers. Later on in the show, I'll give you your questions. If you match them up, you will win another. We're giving away another gift certificate, $25 gift card, to George's Lounge. George's Lounge. $25 gift certificate. Known for great burgers. It's in downtown Canton. And here are your answers. Three answers for today. Jeff Garcia. 
Jeff Garcia. Remember Sergeant Garcia? What TV show is that? Zorro! Jeff Garcia is number one. Number two is six. And number three, Otto Graham. Not to be confused with automotive. All right, Otto Graham, six, and Jeff Garcia. Jeff Garcia, six, and Otto Graham. All right, those are your answers or your questions, or whatever. Hey, I wanted to talk real quick. I, I wanted to get into this about um, Sylvia McGee real quick. And, and, you know, there is conclusion to it somewhat. Uh, Isaiah Lynch was uh, was uh, sentenced this past week. I believe the other young man is going to be waiting till sometime this week to be sentenced, but... Uh, Lynch was 13 years old, which is unbelievable to me. Um, Sylvia McGee was only 14, I believe, at the time. Uh, 13 and 14-year-olds should not be involved in things like this, but we've we've gone over that. But he was sentenced uh, to be in juvenile prison until he's 21 years old. Uh, he also could be sent to adult prison for a term of at least 15 years after that before he is eligible for parole because of the gun violation that was part of the murder. It was considered premeditated. Um, He and his partner planned uh, for two weeks, apparently, to kill her over a Assumption that she was pregnant with Isaiah Lynch's child. Um, Turns out that Isaiah had been involved in gangs since he was maybe seven, eight years old. Started getting drawn into it. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it, I understand. I, I, I really do. I could understand the pull of a young man. who feels the need to be part of something, the draw to be involved in a gang. I can understand that. We have to give young people, men and women, young children, an alternative to this. Somehow. A way to feel like they're part of something. And uh, this is a a sad conclusion because you have a, a life that was taken and Sylvia McGee and a life that is somewhat ruined. Hopefully there's some rehabilitation for Isaiah Lynch. And I, I can't remember the name of his um, of the other young man that was involved in this. Uh, but, oh, Michael Boykins. He is uh, the co-defendant. And uh, he and... He and uh, Isaiah Lynch did this, um, planned it, carried it out, and hopefully now we have some conclusion to this. Uh, When we come back, 
we're going to get into talking Browns. We already did a little, but we're going to get in more. Uh, talk high school basketball. I don't know what's going on with that. I don't watch basketball. That's fine. I, I, no. I mean, no, no, you're, I mean, you're entitled to do what you want to. I mean, you, you don't have to watch basketball. I just can't get into it. I think I try. I want to. I haven't watched one basketball game, not even a part of one basketball game, NBA, college, anything. I think it's a lot easier for a fan who's maybe a fringe basketball fan to watch games when their local pro team is really good because it gives you a reason to want to sit and watch a game. And right now the Cavaliers are not exactly you know, on top of the world. I mean, there's a new thing each and every week. I'm and not I a kn- basketball guy, though. I'm, I I watch. I will. I will watch the uh, March Mat. Well, I'm not allowed to say that. The tournament in March. I will watch um, the NBA Finals. That's it. And I yeah, check I mean, scores, I, like seeing how Iowa State is doing, or Akron's thirteen and three. I didn't realize that. I know they won last night. They don't know who they beat. Yeah, they're thirteen and three. That team's playing their butts off. Who beat Ball State? Oh, Ball State. How do you know that? Wow, Steven. Steven's like an encyclopedia. All right. When we come back, we're going to get it's into more that. Wins in the football team has had in like in three years. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Whoa, what kind of music is that? Who is it? Focus? I've never heard of Focus. Wow. I know I've heard of Focus. I had to hear them, but I I don't really. It's kind of repetitive. Just keeps doing that. How long is the intro? That's the whole song. No, when I put it together to make the intro longer, I I edited it so it's it's got a real long intro on it because I don't want I'm talking over top of you. Oh, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Thank you. See, Stephen, I don't know your world. Your world is beyond me. It's kind of like hearing aids. I don't know anything about them. I just know that they work when they work. That's the whole song, though. It is? It is. How about it just keeps going. What was the worst song ever written? Rock and roll song. Money, 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 money. You don't even know. Oh, no, yeah. you don't even know it. Don't try and act like you know that song. That's that song, isn't it? No, you're thinking of m- no. What am I thinking of? Well, what was he singing? Oh, Louis Louis. He was singing Louis. It's not like he was singing the the money song, the one that they play on the show prior to yours. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then he broke into Louis Louis. Yeah, he just kind of mixed them all up. Well, well that's Louis all right. You Louis. can't understand Louis Louis. Anyway. Well, I was going to say Louis Louis is pretty bad too, though. It's not as bad as Money Money. It's just the same thing over and over again. Yeah, but at least Louis Louis says, "Hey, we got to go." Dun, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Money, money just keeps going. Money, 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 money. Okay, let's 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 
Let's cue up Moni Moni. No, let's not. I want to hear it. You, you've you've done this to yourself now. Uh, come on. What, what? Moni Moni. <laughs> Go ahead. Who's it by? Tommy James and the Shondells. Okay. First of all, who's Moni Moni? Come on, shoot around, come around. Is this basketball? Here we go. This took a lot of talent to write this. Here we go. By comparison, though. All right, they're about the it same. It keeps going, though. Yeah, they're about the same. I'll, I'll give you that. They're about the same. It's the stupidest song. The Kingsman. Yeah. Louis Luai was a big hit, though. So was Moni Moni, for that matter. I have no idea why. Are we talking sports? So was Hey Jude. Hey Jude was a great song. It is. It's That's fantastic. a classic song. Fantastic. You can't compare Hey Jude to Louis Luai. I was Luai it was also a big hit. And Moni Moni. Do you remember? I'm back- just showing you that that people have a very wide range of what makes great hits. Well, there was a song that was written by this group in Houston, Texas, and I can't remember the song, but it was a horrible song. It sounded like it was recorded in a bathroom or a phone booth. Oh, those are the best ones. No, it wasn't. It was the. It was. Um, but I I knocked this song. I think it was before you, Stephen. Maybe. It was when I was doing the show with Stephanie at the beginning. This is like 15 years ago, I think. And I hated this song. And I said it every week that I hated this song. I said it was a stupid song. It was the most ridiculous song ever. And one day, for some reason, I don't know how she did it, she called and this guy called in, and it was him. <laughs> and he said, on the air, I heard you hate my song. And I'm like, oh, my God. It was actually him. And I said, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't like that song. And he said, well, we've written like 40 songs. And I, I was like, I thought that was the only song you ever, And but she put me on the spot. And you were like, well, I haven't heard the other ones. I didn't. I did say that. I didn't back down. I just said that was, I just, you know. But anyway, it was kind of bizarre. <laughs> I mean, if a song sucks, a song sucks. It did. It it did. But it was a big hit also. It was a big hit also. It was, um, I can't remember the name. Um, but it doesn't matter. Let's Louis, talk. Louis Moni. Let's talk basketball, high school basketball real quick. Okay. What 
Are we at the point where it's like districts yet and all that? No, no. We're 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 a ways away from that. We're at the midway point of the season. That's it. Yeah. So who's it. the top team in Stark County? Girls and boys. I would say the top boys team is it's a, actually a three way race right now. It's probably between McKinley, Glen Oak, and Green. Green not technically in the county, but part of the federal league. Um, those three are top of the league right now. They're Where's Jackson? Really fighting it out. Jackson lost last night to Hoover. Oh, okay. So Jackson's kind of struggling as of recent. They've graduated a lot over the last couple of years. Um, on the girls' side, I would say it's Jackson and Glen Oak. They're okay. really having a, a close battle in the Federal League, and uh, right now Jackson holds just a one-game lead in the Federal League. They beat Glen Oak the first time out by three points. But, I mean, uh, other than Federal League, these are the best teams overall in I the would, county? I, I would tend McKinley? to think so. Yeah, I, I would tend to think so. I, I think McKinley and Glen Oak are are just a notch above some of the other teams. I mean, Marlington is is pretty decent this year, and last night Alliance put together a good effort. They actually beat Marlington last night. Canton South has some talented kids. Um, everyone has a talented kid this year again. You know, it's it's the same as any other year in basketball. It's just that McKinley and Glen Oak are, are deep, and they have the ability to, you know, go seven, eight guys and, and really maybe even make a tournament run. And I'd say the same with the girls with – the cases of um, both Glen Oak and Jackson. I think that you know Canton South and Marlington are actually really good in girls basketball too. But part of the issue is that I don't know that they're deep enough to make those tournament runs. Whereas right. Jackson or Glen Oak, with where they're sitting, if everything breaks their way, they could be looking at Columbus. Mm-hmm. So you know, same for the boys' side. It just you know, once you get to the regional, it's a crapshoot. Yeah. I mean, you just everybody gets in, right? Yeah. Yeah. If so they start the, over in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, all you have to hope for is that if you get through your district, you get an easy regional draw. All right. Do you get seeded by how your record is during the regular yeah. season, or you just start from scratch? No, you. when you go into the district, you get seeded. So it's based on how you're doing up to, I'm pretty sure it's like game 16 or 17 of the year, and then you submit that information, and then the district – like all the coaches and people, like they vote on the seating and like where it should be. So, like last year, I want to say, I can't remember if it was Jackson or who had the number one seed, but um, the number one seed didn't end up winning because I can't remember if it was Green or Jackson. I okay. can't remember that off the top of my head, but yeah, they seed you and then you play that out. But it's not the same way in every part of the state. Okay. Some parts of the state, like. They have mixed um, districts where they just have everybody come into one district and they seed from like one to like 60. And then, like, you just play the thing out. Wow. Like, anybody could meet each other. So, if I went to a game, I'd get seated. You would. Would it's it a be a one. predetermined seat or do I have to go find my own? No, it'd be general admission. Okay. All right. I just... It's a bad one, Joe. Keep your day job. <laughs> Thank you. We'll be right back. This is why this. Today is a perfect reason why the Ohio Medical Board is considering. (laughs) They're actually going to consider this to allow Browns and Bengals fans to be authorized to get medical marijuana. (laughs) Did you know that, Stephen? They're actually... the. 
Over the past three years, the Bengals have averaged five wins per season with the Browns averaging 4.3 wins. Um, But right now, uh, the State Medical Board of Ohio is going to consider a petition that would make being a Bengals or Browns fan an official uh, an official medical marijuana condition for the Buckeye State. Can you believe this? They're actually going to consider if the peti- if the petition were approved, then being a Browns and Bengals fan would join the qualifying medical conditions such as Alzheimer's, cancer, Crohn's disease glaucoma, hepatitis C, inflammatory bowel disease, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, and being a Browns and Bengals fan. Today is a perfect example of that. We have everybody's hired a coach, everybody in the league. We interviewed eight people, and we can't make a decision. What are you reading, John? I'm just I'm looking at Twitter to see if anything is updated. There's what was this tweet from Albert Breer? Albert Breer, for those that don't know him, he is a senior NFL reporter um, for the MMQB, which is the Sports Illustrated version of like the highest NFL coverage with Peter King involved with that. And he tweeted out this morning, and this was literally about like an hour ago. He said the Browns have started reference checks and working on permission on GM candidates per sources. The plan all along has been to pick the coach and find a GM to pair with him. So Cleveland's working on step two of its process. He said, by the way, this doesn't mean a firm decision has been made, just that they're winding down. If they're down to two or three candidates, that's good enough to get the ball rolling on a few of those guys prefer so they they're screwing GMs. it up again yes yeah, I thought the head coach was going to have a say that's what I thought too <laughs> so I I don't really understand that if you were see that's the thing if you were going to stick by what your model was like if you were Jimmy Haslam and you were saying that you were gonna pick a head coach right then bring him in and right. let him help bring in the GM. Right then you do that. You right. don't hire the head coach or think about hiring the head coach, then start thinking about GM candidates, then bring in the head coach and say, here's a list of people that we like. Right. Because that's why when people come here, they get so upset. Bingo. Because everything is already kind of predetermined for them by the owners that like to meddle too much. If Josh McDaniels was smart, and I care about, I you know I don't know Josh real well. I don't I I just know that Tom McDaniel's is probably one of the classiest men that coaches that, that I know. Sure. Um and a great coach. And I've I would advise Josh not to take this job. As much as it is coming back home bringing his kids back to close to his grandparents and and being the guy that turns around his franchise and all that would be a great story. But Josh McDaniels is one of the high, I I think he may be the highest paid assistant in the NFL. Maybe. He's going to get a head coaching job. 
he can he can afford to wait for the right one because I'm beginning to get absolutely disgusted that we are doing that the Browns ownership is doing exactly what it has done in the past. Well, wait. Josh may pull out. Stefanski may pull out. And then you're stuck again. They turned a perfect situation by New York and Carolina selecting the people that they did, opening it up and saving, essentially saving the Browns. Because if they'd have taken Stefanski and Josh McDaniels at New yeah. York, and it, now who would we have? They essentially saved the Browns. And the Browns can't even grab the lifeboat. They can't even, they, they, they are so incompetent that they can't even grab it. They can't even take charge of this situation. You know what's been interesting to me is that regardless of reports that have come out from different places about the teams that also were looking for coaches, so, you know, Dallas, Washington, New York, and then um, who else was looking for a coach? Carolina. Yeah. Regardless of what was said before or after they started looking at candidates, all of them knew the guy that they wanted. Yep. They went into the process. They said, if you were in New York, they said, you know what? We want Joe Judge. Yes. No one knows who he is except for Bill Belichick, but we want him because he's our guy. Yeah. If you were in Washington, they said, we want Ron Rivera. Yes. And then we want Ron Rivera to come in and do his thing. Yes. Take control. Yes. In Dallas. We want Mike McCarthy. Let's but, go get him. But we interviewed Mike. We had Mike McCarthy in two weeks But before. part of the problem is that if you listen, and this is why when people talk to me about Jimmy Haslam and talk to me about that press conference that he had a week and a half ago, I had to stop listening about five minutes in. Because five minutes into it, I kept thinking to myself, one, he is the most incompetent owner in all of professional sports right now, I would say unequivocally that is the case. Well, there's some others that are really but, but, go ahead, but I agree. And on top of that, it just sounded like he didn't know what he was talking about. Well, it sounds like he always sounds. But it was like... And I didn't believe him. But it was to a point to where it was so ridiculous, the things that he was saying, like to a point to where you were just like, you know, how many times... Are you going to say this? How many times are you going to do this until you finally decide that some guy is the right guy? If you keep doing a one and done, nobody can be the right guy. They, if you keep building this culture yeah, of... but Freddie Kitchens wasn't the right no, guy. No, I, I know he wasn't the right and, guy. And Chazinski and those guys and Petten were because they it was paralysis by analysis. They, they waited so long that they had to get... Chodzinski, that they had to get Petten because they didn't make a decisive decision. When you have Mike McCarthy sitting there, you bring him in, you roll out the red carpet, you have, you you say, what is it going to take? I'll pay you $10 million a year to bring Mike McCarthy in here. I don't care. 
or or Ron Rivera before, if you knew you were going to fire this guy, Kitchens, and you knew you were going to, bring in Ron Rivera. What? Well, what? And, how, that, and that's the thing is that when you're in a situation like the Browns are every year, basically. I mean, you could say they weren't for the couple of years with Hugh Jackson, for the two years with Mike Pettin, but I think we all knew that all those guys were headed towards the same impending doom that everyone else does that takes this job. If you're the Browns at this point, again, you have the ability now to still look around the league and say, if there is a guy we want, let's just go get well, him. And that's why I thought last night... We would hear, Josh McDaniel spent seven hours here. He brought his wife. If you hired him, why aren't you saying it? Yeah. If it's close, why aren't you saying it? Yeah. Why, why, what are you waiting for? Get it out there. We hired him. Now Josh McDaniels is going to be in the building, and we're going to hire the GM. Now we're going to together bring in his guy, Scott Pioli, or whoever's going to come in. And we're going to put this whole thing together. Tom McDaniels, tell your son to stay put. Because if the Browns haven't come out of that press conference, they should have come out of that press conference or that interview yesterday and had a press conference immediately. You know, one last thing, because I know you have to get to a break here. But I do. I, I was going to say that, Someone pointed out that the Browns interviewed a former head coach in Jim Schwartz. And obviously, I don't think he's anywhere near the top of the list. He may be. I don't know. But someone pointed out that they had a chance that they could have interviewed two different former Lions head coaches. They could have either interviewed Jim Schwartz, or Jim who, had Caldwell. A, who had a losing record, or Jim Caldwell, who had a winning record Bingo. and went to the Super Bowl and did things that were great in his time as an NFL head coach. Yeah. And again, it just shows that as long as Jimmy and D Haslam and JW and all the other boys up there are making the decisions, it's going to continue to be a race of guys that really don't know exactly how to pick what they're looking for. I want to do you want to keep talking about this? Can we keep talking about I'm, this? I'm my stomach hurts. No, I'll get you some medical marijuana. <laughs> uh, okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we may continue. I got so many other stories, so many things that are happening just, in the just world. Just one more segment. I'm just asking. Uh, yeah. <sighs> okay. Oh, I was feeling that. That's Archie Bell and the Drills. That's who called me, because I hate that song. Because it just keeps going. Well, today is your lucky day, Joe, because on line one right now is Archie. <laughs> Not again. He's going to call Not and again. say, damn it, Joe. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm suing you. 
Why is it always me? <laughs> you never choose anyone else. Oh, I did. I choose Moni Moni as, as the absolute worst song. No, the worst song is any song by Bread. <laughs> I hate that group. Oh, I love Bread. You serious? Yeah. I, have... I wanted to shoot myself after every song that I heard from them. They were just the most depressing group ever. <laughs> See me, my any song by Roy Orbison. If I like it. <laughs> oh my god! And this song, if isn't bad, bread. No, like if isn't bad by bread. That's not. No, it's just song. like last forever. It's like speed it up a little bit. And then they did another one about someone dying. Wait, the guitar man, that's a great song. I hate bread. Why, well, it's because you're only eating vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, white, white bread. Anyway, all right. Steve, Steve Dorshik, the, the great, and I will say great, um, Brown's beat writer for the repository, is going to come on at 9.30 to hopefully talk me off the ledge. Uh, Do you think Bread had a break-off band called the Carbohydrates? Wheat. They had wheat bread. That They broke off. Uh, Rye. Pumpernickel. <laughs> Simon and Now Pumpernickel. introducing Pumpernickel. Pumpernickel. They had one with Pavarotti called Italian Bread. Ooh, good one. Okay. Um, Soda bread, the Irish band. Jeez. Stop. Stop. You, I mean, you took. Stop. You brought up bread. You took I mean, some bread. of these bands just did it because they wanted to make a little dough. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, and they wanted a loaf. <laughs> Just loaf around for a bit, yes. right? Yeah. Is that what it was? Anyway. You know, when you slice this all up, it just becomes so fascinating. I know, I know. Uh, I Let's stop. Let's stop this. I'm going to I'm gonna toast you about this later. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, the Browns. Okay. You wanted to continue. You wanted to continue for a reason, so I'm going to let you continue. I'm, you don't even know what you want to talk about about them, do you? No, I do. Because we're done. Go ahead. What I do you do. want to talk about? I do know what I want to talk about with them. It's now 9.15 and we still don't have a coach. That's exactly what I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. That it is taking this long. Yes. You have interviewed all of these Eight people. Eight people. Some of which, Mike McCarthy already have jobs with other teams. Yes. And here you are, sitting now, the only team. Yes. Every reporter in the NFL is talking about just you. Yes. Because you do not have a head coach. Yes. How can you let this process drag Linger. on this long? I get that you want to trust a process and go with the right guy, Damn, that process was gone a long time ago when you didn't hire Mike McCarthy. Do you know that the vote on Freddie Kitchens was 4-2? to two? The only people that wanted Freddie Kitchens was Jimmy Haslam and John Dorsey. Really? Yes. 
The rest of the people voted four. It was four to two. They wanted Stefanski. And two people, Jimmy Haslam and John Dorsey, wanted Freddie Kitchens. You and know, they hired Freddie Kitchens. You know, I'll say this about Kevin Stefanski, though, and it's what worries me about him, is that watching the Vikings-Saints game, they were saying that part of the reason why the Vikings' offense has been so potent this year is not because of Stefanski, but because Gary Kubiak yes. came in and started to change things. Yes, so exactly. Got me thinking, is this going to be another case where the Browns hire Kevin Stefanski and then just before the season, some radio show up in Minnesota has Gary Kubiak on and he's like, it was never Stefanski, it was always me. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, like, is that is that what well, it's going to be? Well, that with Kitchens. That's what I'm saying. Well... Why like didn't they Bob inter- Wiley came on. He was like, it, it was always Zampezi. Yes. Like, you know, like, I don't want to hear that again. Well, why didn't they hire, why didn't they interview Kubiak? I don't know. That'd be a great hire. I'd take Kubiak in, in, a, in a heartbeat. He's taken teams to the playoffs. Yep. He won a Super Bowl with the Broncos. But they didn't, they didn't interview him. You know, that's what, that's just what gets me about this whole head coaching search is that the thing I was going to bring up is, I know that other teams have like interviewed these guys, but everyone has interviewed them and then quickly passed on them and gone to somebody else. And yes. why is that? Yes. And the Browns here are sitting with an opportunity. Just because you don't get McCarthy or Rivera, there's still tons of guys with lots of head coaching experience that are out there that would be willing to take a job. We've named Gary Kubiak this morning. We've named Jim Caldwell this morning. You could go down to college and get Lovey Smith. You could go and you could interview Marvin Lewis. You could bring in all of these guys that have pure head coaching experience, have taken teams to the playoffs. In the case of Caldwell, Kubiak, and uh, who was the other guy that I named? They've taken teams to the Super Bowl. Marvin Lewis. Yeah. Not the Super Bowl, but to not play. not Marvin Lewis. He didn't take the team to the Super Bowl. There was another guy named in there, Caldwell. Oh, Lovey Smith. Mm-hmm. He took the Bears to the Super Bowl. Did he? He did. I didn't with know Rex that. Grossman as his starting right. quarterback. Rex Grossman, not not some Hall of Famer. He had Rex some, Grossman. He had some scrub. Well, Rex Grossman was the scrub. He was the closest thing to it. I guess the point is is that the Browns have a roster with so much potential. And in bringing in a guy who's only been a coordinator, yes, you are bringing in a guy who has no experience still leading a roster. Well, Josh McDaniels has. He does. But he, he failed at it, but so did Bill Belichick. And we saw what he did. So... I don't know. Bill Belichick was fired. He he was fired too soon. That's it's just it's it's baffled me that they have. I mean, even for God's sake, they could have even gone to Michigan and talked to Jim Harbaugh. I mean, just good point. They there are so many guys that are out there that have head coaching experience, and that's the thing is that I know that Jimmy Haslam said it doesn't have to be a prerequisite, but. The teams that win are the teams that have guys that have head coaching experience that have hired those guys. I guarantee you next year that both Washington and Dallas 
will be in the playoffs. Much improved teams. Yes, I agree with Dallas you. Dallas will be in the playoffs. Washington will probably be a 500 team, if not above 500. Oh, I think they'll be better than 500. I think they'll be better than 500. Plus, with I Ryan heard, Rivera. Didn't they bring in Jack Del Rio as their defensive coordinator too? That's another guy. He has had coaching experience. Bingo. They didn't bring him in at all. No. That's that's why like everyone is always like, oh, there's nobody good out there for the Browns to interview. There's tons of coaches. And again, it's all about, they always say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And unfortunately, I don't think the Browns know what beauty is. Because every time they go about this process, they look at it in a way that's so just flipped upside down. It's paralysis by analysis. They want to analyze, think about it, interview, cast a wide net. If you were <laughs> ah if you were Josh McDaniels, last thing about this. I wouldn't here. take the job. But if you were Josh McDaniels and and you were in that meeting yesterday, 7 hours, I would say to Jimmy Haslam, I would say to Paul D Podesta, I would say to you know whoever else was in the room, JW, I would just say that no matter who was in that room, if I take this job, there has to be an agreement from today that I am here a minimum of at least three to five years. You can't. can't say that. But he has to. You can't say that. You can't. There's no guarantee to that. Nobody is going, because they'll say, we'll pay you for five years. But that's the only guarantee you have is that they'll pay you for five years. You won't be there for five years. How many, how many coaches is Jimmy Haslam paying right now? too many it's like the cavaliers it's like the situation that they were in when they were paying all those different coaches for a while it's it's just it's it's a anyway i'm disgusted and now you've made me more disgusted it's a process you have you have given me heartburn i was okay you know what helps heartburn the Noblies. By the way, they still make the Noblies. Stephen went online and found it. I've been told bread can actually do really good things I for your heartburn. It's David Gates and bread. Even the name, bread. Just bread. Just plain. Seems like you got a burnt piece. Ordinary. What, Stephen? I was going to make a comment about weird names like Mott the Hoople, but, you know, that's more exciting. I love Mott the Hoople. But their their albums were were stupid. Their album, the first album was Mott, and the second album was The Hoople. They now, did, did they do 30 Days in a Hole? Is that Mott The Hoople? I don't know. I wonder if they give you bread and water if you have 30 Days in a Hole. Bread. Was there ever a band named Water? No. No. Milk? No. There was a Milk, wasn't there? There was a movie Milk. Yeah, about Harvey Milk, yeah. That's that's a completely different thing, though. Yeah, I, I just I don't I don't know. You keep taking me down these rabbit trails, these tunnels, these holes that I can't get out of, so I don't get anything done on the show. But that's, we don't have to hear about impeachment if we're talking about bread, right? Well, we do have to. Talk, well, that's a good. I mean, point. what do you want? Do you want me to come in here and be like, "Hey, Joe, we ran." And then just leave the room. Where'd you run? Hey, wasn't that a song by Flock of Seagulls? Iran? Yeah. Hey, guess what? I got to tell you this. I play chess on my 
on my phone all the time, and I play people all over the world. So uh, I'm playing this morning before I come into the show. I'm sitting at breakfast, and I'm eating my plant-based breakfast. You play with David Gates? Stop. <laughs> and so I'm playing chess, and I and it automatically random. You just say next game, and it automatically random randomly picks your opponent. And I get I play people all over the world, and I love doing it. But I I pick this. All of a sudden, this guy comes up, man from Iran. That's his name. He immediately closes the game. <laughs> he sees my, because you have your flags of your countries. So he immediately sees my American flag and aborts the game within two seconds. And I'm like, damn. So you won by default. No, because he aborted it. No. Before you make a move, you don't lose. But I, it was funny because I looked real quick and it said, man from Iran, and he immediately aborted the game. You I'm like, that. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to play chess. Can I point out that this week I heard the name of that general Solanami, right? Yeah. Soleimani. Soleimani. Yeah. I heard his name pronounced Salami a handful of times this week. <laughs> That's ridiculous. By like a number of people. Really? Yes. By news people? Yes. Predominant, prominent people? Just, I heard Salami. I heard people saying Salami and I was like, that's not, that's not right. Like, that's not like. Well, I like, get my name on. mispronounced all the time. Yeah, but like nobody walks up to you and says, "Hey, it's Joey Gabagoo." Like, I mean, nobody does that. Like, I mean, uh, like salami. Yeah, like, come on, be better. We gotta take a break, don't we? Steve Dorshuk is coming up. Hopefully, he can lend some stability to this. Um, I do want to talk. I've got a hundred stories that came out this week. Um, we're going to have uh, probably at ten o'clock. We're going to have rapid fire news on the week. We're, we're going to get some of these stories in. That's we'll have lightning round. We'll just poof, rattle them off all the top stories of the week. We're going to do that. But Steve Dorshek is next, and I am, uh, you know, if there's one guy I wanted to talk to about this situation, is Steve Dorshek, and I'm looking forward because he's got a calming demeanor to him. He doesn't get upset. He He's very matter-of-fact. He'll talk me off the ledge. He's coming up right after the news and sports. Stay tuned. You know, if there was one person in the entire country that I could call, to talk me off the ledge and to find out what's going on with the Browns, it would be Steve Dorshik, the Browns beat writer for the Canton Repository. He has had stuff all this week quoted uh, in papers and everywhere across the country. He is uh, one of the hardest working men that I know and, and a person that I respect his writing and his reporting and everything. Uh, probably more than anybody else. And Steve, I, I thank you for taking time on this Saturday morning to, to be with me and be with the listeners. Hey, Joe, um, while you're up on that ledge, I want you to be careful, okay? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, don't, 
keep looking ahead, okay? It's, it's very dangerous <laughs> to look from side to side. But if you look to your left, that's me. <laughs> Thank you. You're there, too? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and uh, I, I, I hear you talking. I haven't said a word, so actually I haven't been listening to you uh, uh, talking, Joe, and uh, heard you say you're up on the ledge. But I, I have an answer, uh, too, to the, uh, the question of uh, who did uh, 30 Days in the Hole. That was Humble Pie. Oh, jeez. You have been listening. <laughs> That's amazing. Humble Pie. I had to look it up. You know, I, 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 it was somewhere on the back of the tip of my tongue, but I did have to look it up. <laughs> Humble Pie. I forgot all about them. Wow. Thank you. I, I'm. Yeah. I'll good, see you, good Steve. For you, a man when, you've uh, you've answered you, my question. There, there you go. Yep. Another mystery solved. What? Here's the other mystery. What in the world is going on, Steve? Do you know anything? What we uh, can know and can ascertain and uh, can wonder and imagine will be the case going forward, Joe, is that the Haslams have been an unstable, ineffective organization. I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> well, they, they've been, I mean, the, the evidence is, is there to see. The, uh, the record uh, for the startup of an ownership is one of the worst in NFL history. And uh, they've uh, made all of the accompanying decisions that uh, that have produced that record, and that that's what they've been. Now, I, I, I didn't mean to apply that to that's what they need to be and uh, are doomed to be going forward. However, when the candidates uh, come in, you know that uh, is partly the way they're looking at the Haslam's. Uh, certainly, askance. You know, certainly from the standpoint that uh, if uh, the candidates, and there, there are a, a couple who uh, do have leverage uh, and uh, some who don't have any leverage and would be desperate to take a head coaching job, but when the candidates who have any leverage at all uh, in, uh, in going into a, an interview with the Browns, uh, those those guys are looking at the Haslam's from the standpoint of, you're going to have to sell it to me. I'm, I don't uh, I know what I am. I know I can sell it to you. I know I have credentials. I know I can probably uh, be in a coach, a uh, head coaching hunt some other time. I know I have a good job to go back to. Uh, I don't need you. Respect to you, but you're going to have to sell me that uh, you have a clue and your people have a clue on uh, on what's going on and how to help me lead the assembly of an organization. So that, well, that's what they've been, and yeah, that's, it's, it's a long, long, sad story. We're talking with Steve Doshik, the, the Browns beat writer for the Canton Repository, outstanding writer, reporter. I, I, Steve, please tell me that the Browns offered Mike McCarthy, and he turned them down and said, I want to go look at other jobs. I don't think that uh, whether they offered him or not, I, I don't, uh, don't know that for a fact. Joe, but uh, I have no doubt that if McCarthy's choice was the, the Cowboys or the Browns, uh, the Cowboys were a pretty easy choice for him. But at that time, at that time when the Browns interviewed him, they still hadn't fired their old coach. Yeah, I just don't don't think a uh, that's well. They hadn't fired their old coach. Why didn't Dorsey hire? Uh, 
McCarthy, is that what you're asking? No, why, no. Why didn't they hire? Why didn't they make it so sweet for Mike McCarthy when he came in as the first interview? Why didn't they make it so sweet? Whirl out the red carpet. Instead, Jimmy Haslam conducted a, an interview, a press conference, while he was in town interviewing, talking about how they were going to cast a wide net. Why didn't they go all in? and offer him and not let him leave? Because part of making things as sweet as you could possibly make them for Mike McCarthy would have been working with the Haslam regime. And uh, going back to the first question, the uh, appeal of working, there is no appeal to working for the uh, Haslam regime. uh, uh, Just just as, as an overview, and any appeal to working for the Haslam's would have to come from them presenting themselves uh, in a tremendous way during the interview and their people presenting a situation to somebody with leverage that, uh, hey, we understand it's wrong. We understand that uh, we've tried to figure out what we should be doing. But bluntly, we also understand that we don't know what we're doing and, uh, and, uh, and we're going to cede all of that power to you. Now, we have people in the organization that uh, that uh, are uh, willing to work with you, and if you need to fire some of the people in the organization uh, to suit you, then good. But uh, all of that stuff would have been part of the sweetening of the deal. But even at that, let's suppose that, uh, and and there, there are guys with leverage who who uh, will do this in the coaching search. Let let let's suppose that uh, a guy goes in there and Haslam tells them all of this. And uh, and they leave thinking that, uh, well, he just gave me uh, carte blanche to uh, hire whoever I want and to get rid of whoever I want in uh, any aspect of our football operation. You're still left with a question of uh, what's it going to be like going forward with the Haslam's. What kind of support am I going to have? Look at that background that they have of, uh, of uh, getting rid of uh, everybody after two years or thereabouts. Whereas if you go to Jerry Jones, he's... Uh, uh, not, not the guy I would want to work for, or I'm going to guess uh, you would want to work for, Joe. You're, you're dealing with uh, one of the most monstrous, uh, biggest egos in NFL history, but they've been fairly stable. Yep. They've kept their, kept their coaches. They've only had one GM. Of course, the GM is Jerry. They've only ever had uh, one GM. Yeah. But, so, but you, you, can, uh, you can kind of uh, objectively – assess everything that is in the Cowboys organization, including the fact that they haven't won big, but they've uh, they've had an above uh, 500 winning percentage uh, since the Super Bowl years with the with the Jerry Jones. Right. Uh, there's no comparison in, in what you would be uh, entering and stepping into in Dallas uh, as to what you would be stepping to, into in Cleveland. That's so true. My, my guess is that McCarthy just saw uh, stability and opportunity and uh, a better chance for him to uh, succeed in uh, Dallas than he than he did in Cleveland. And after seeing uh, a, a sweet deal, uh, you know, the sweetest deal possible, uh, you know, yet is uh, is an economic com- component where you would give him uh, eight years at ten million a year, whatever, whatever it would be. Uh, It'd be worth it. Uh, yeah, you would do that if you're Haslam, but it wouldn't matter. You know, that's uh, you have uh, right. if you're McCarthy. Or one of the top candidates, you already have all the money you're ever going to need. So it's not about money; it's about uh, you no know, comfortability uh, in your work situation. Let, what can we read, Steve, out of the fact that 
Josh McDaniel spent seven hours here yesterday, brought his wife, spent seven hours, and there is still at at 9.45 a.m., still no announcement of who the head coach is. What can we read in that, that, that Josh said no? I don't think so. I don't know that. You know, a, a no from Josh isn't going to surprise me in in the least. But in the, the case of no information coming out about uh, – Josh uh, taking the, the job or uh, even being offered the job or putting thumbs down on the job. And in the case of him uh, flying back to New England, uh, uh, to me that uh, makes all makes perfect sense on, on a couple of different levels. How? Yeah. And that would be uh, primarily, or not primarily, but importantly, after the 2017 season, he was offered the Colts job, right? Right. He uh, turned it down and got himself in a lot of trouble. Uh, you know, well, he, had, he accepted he had his, it. Yeah. Well, that's that's the reporting. I I don't know. Uh, uh, in my mind, based on my conversations, whether he actually accepted it or not. Oh, that's interesting. He was on the he was on the cusp of accepting it, and uh, and uh, I I don't know. Next time uh, I see Josh, if he wants to talk, well, he won't. You know, he'll he'll have moved on. But my understanding is that. He was on the cusp of accepting it, and maybe he had. And certainly uh, the Colts had portrayed it as he led them to believe that he had taken the job. But there was some stuff going on behind the scenes, and uh, and the, the explanation will probably never come out publicly. But uh, behind the scenes, there were uh, he had his own good reasons for, for backing out of that. And they weren't as sinister as, uh, you know, he was throwing a bunch of uh, people under the bus and leaving a bunch of assistant coaches he had invited in uh, Hanging out to dry. You know, all of those guys got jobs somewhere, and uh, that, that that's a long story. Well, two of them I'm, stayed with the Colts. Matt Eberflus. Yeah, right. Yep. So, so, so what do you read into this, then, that they haven't announced? You would think if they, in a normal organization, you interview a guy for, se- for seven hours, you bring his wife in, you... Fly them in on Jimmy Haslam's jet. Um, you know, you spend all that time. Wouldn't you want to get on top of this and announce it last night? You would, yeah, but that was the point I was rolling around to. They don't want to, and maybe he doesn't uh, want to either. It's, here's probably the two levels of it, Joe, the way I see it. If uh, Josh is still in, in, in the hunt, and I don't know uh, because I can't uh, read the Haslam's mind. I, I, I have a pretty good sense for what Josh would do if a certain set of circumstances was in place. But the Haslam's would have to put those circumstances in place, and I, I'm not a Haslam mind reader. But for the Haslam's money, uh, they didn't want to rush into an announcement from the standpoint uh, the thing in, uh, in Indianapolis fell through. I mean, okay. Josh came to the cusp of, uh, of being their coach. And then it was a big public relations disaster for everyone when he wasn't. And that was kind of less a rush into the situation of uh, being prepared to announce him as the head coach than this one is. I think a couple of days had passed since uh, Josh had uh, been, been in the, uh, the Super Bowl uh, before the Colts were, uh, you know, had, had all their ducks in a row to announce him as the head coach and uh, thought they were going to have him at the podium that day. So what you're saying, but, uh, though, what you're saying yes, then is that neither side came to an absolute decision. 
I think the Colts came to an absolute No, decision. I'm talking uh, about in this case. I'm oh, talking about case, with the Browns. Yeah. No, I, oh, I, I would, uh, would guess that. Uh, no, I, I don't know that again. I don't know. Uh, I'm not a Haslam mind reader. I know that uh, my, my sense for Josh was that he was going to lay, out, lay the cards on the table and uh, all of them. He was going to uh, gauge the Haslams and their people early on in the interview and uh, uh, kind of uh, see what their appetite was for each side being brutally honest about uh, requirements. And then if Josh was convinced about uh, the Haslams and their people, the deep Podestas at all, being uh, uh, of a mind that they were going to listen with an open mind to the very uh, detailed uh, and, and, uh, and striking and uh, you know, revolutionary, if you will, requirements that he was going to put in front of them based on the blueprint that he's been developing for a long time, then uh, he was going to lay that out there and then watch and see how uh, that rolled off of them. So I know he was going to uh, most likely do all of that, uh, I don't know and, and don't have a guess because, because I, I, I have a sense for deep test a little bit. I don't have a sense for the Haslams. I don't know how that was received. I don't know if an offer was made. Uh, I'm going to guess that one wasn't. That's, that's my guess, that one wasn't, and that they let him go back uh, um, you know, simply because they needed to talk over all of the complex stuff uh, that, that he had put out there. He was going to surprise them with a lot of this stuff, I would bet. Now, I, I don't know if they, uh, they would have been prepared for all of the uh, sweeping changes that he probably was going to <clears throat> outline. Uh, so that, that, uh, that would be, I, I mean, you would criticize the Haslams, I think, Joe, if they made a snap decision on stuff that would have been surprising them. I think there's some wisdom in them uh, then sitting on it and uh, talking among themselves and uh, saying, hey, you know, he wants to do all of this. We weren't ready for that. We're going to have to uh, uh, at least have a, a real long conversation about how all these different new moving parts are going to fit together. So uh, to me, it just makes it makes good sense that they would uh, talk about it late, sleep on it, talk about it again this morning, and then decide on Josh. And then uh, if, if all of that happens, then there would be one more conversation with Josh. Well, where they would uh, say something along the lines of, hey, I uh, you know uh, we talked about it, uh, we need to meet face-to-face, we will, but if we can handle this on the phone, here's how all of that stuff is uh, rolling around in our minds right now. So it would, uh, I think it would be a, a complex uh, process, and the, the fact he, he went back home, if, uh, if he's the guy who's still on the hunt, uh, makes good sense to me. I see. I, I'm... I guess I'm of the belief, hey, look, this has been broken for so long. We've messed this up so long that if we trust you as a person, as our coach, and we think you're qualified, that we will do everything in our power, we will do everything you ask because right now it's been broken for far too long. And and the other part of this, Steve, and we're talking with Steve Dorshik, who you're one of the most thorough people I know in reporting. And you have no idea who the Haslams are. Relative to their uh, application of thought to yeah, football. Yes. I have an idea who they are. They're very, they're very organized. You know, they uh, Too Jimmy, organized. Uh, carries, himself like a, carries himself like a general. So, yeah. I have a sense for what made it work for him in uh, in his uh, 
trucking empire, but uh, yeah, no no sense. Uh, well, a, a good sense for why why it's failed in football. Yeah, too organized. You you just said it, uh, and and then that's a key point. Can I can I just uh, uh, throw in something uh, yeah. off of that too organized thought? Right. But but Josh comes from an organization that is run very lean and, and tight. Uh, in the uh, NFL uh, fact book, uh, you look at the coaching directories. Uh, now the Browns, I think, had twenty something. Uh, Belichick had something like twelve listed in his. Hmm. But that, that's that's one of the things that uh, McDaniel's uh, would uh, would demand, and some of the other guys so uh, from that school of thought would demand. And that is, you got to have a leaner organization. We don't need this department or that department or this guy or that guy. No, sorry, respect, but we have to be a leaner organization. So you you hit it. You know, too organized. Yeah, it's paralysis by analysis. They can't get out of their own way. They 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 basically there's so much casting this wide net and and, and analyzing people and inter- you know after you interview eight people, you forget what the second person you interviewed said. It just goes on too long, and and it's just driving me crazy. I'm right now. I'm like. All right, this has got to be Josh McDaniels. Everything fell into place. The New York Giants and the Carolina Panthers gave the Haslam's a lifeline. Basically said, we're not taking McDaniels. We're not taking Stefanczyk. We're, we're, basically, we're basically letting you have the pull. And they still can't get it right. Right now, it is a that is a lifeline. You're exactly right. Uh, that, in a sense, that uh, took away from Josh's leverage. Except he still has big leverage if uh, you're approaching it from a wise uh, wise point of view. That is, if you're the Haslam's, uh, you can't look at McDaniel's and say, "Well, uh, uh, he's going to have to come with me because he's got nothing else uh, available." That's that's wrong. His right. leverage is. He knows what's going to work. He's got to see evidence from the Haslam's that they're going to accept what he thinks is going to work, or he's going to walk because he has a good job now, and he'll have other head coaching opportunities in the future. Let me ask you the last question I want to ask you, Steve. Do you think, after, of all your knowledge and all your experience with, with this and coaches and seeing everything around uh, the Browns, do you think Josh could win in Cleveland? Yeah, I do. Uh, I have a sense that he could. Uh, it's going to be uh, potentially, Joe, a, a painful process if uh, they work it out and they let him uh, do all the things he wants to do. And the pain of it's going to be that uh, we're going to go through uh, another three- to five-year plan. And, uh, and we, we've all agreed that you can't keep doing that. And they've kept doing it. And uh, the three to five years of war has worked out that terribly, but right. Yeah, I, I sense that he uh, has the personality. Joe, Joe, here's one thing for you: you're, you're a big guy, okay? You break your hand if you, you'll break your hand if you shake Joe's hand. All right. <laughs> one of the things about uh, Josh is his stature and uh, and how his physical stature and how he's going to be uh, accepted as a uh, head coach in a room like that. Josh is, uh, you know, none, none of us can uh, help her height or weight or. Uh, or, or bicep, well, we can help our biceps, right? But um, he's five foot seven, five foot eight. He doesn't have a deep, booming, commanding voice, right? 
so he doesn't necessarily look the part. Like a Stefanski. Stefanski looks 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 the part. He's a fairly big guy, and uh, he's, he's got uh, kind of a commanding voice, and and he looks the part. But uh, uh, my one thing would be, you know, young, immature football players are going to have to look at this little guy. Of course, they've done. They've gotten over that hump in uh, in New England, and. Uh, yeah. They respect him uh, tons uh, as a coordinator in New England, but as a head coach, he's going to have to command a room, and uh, he'll do everything in his power, and I think he has the ability to do that, but uh, uh, young, often immature guys are going to look at a little guy and uh, maybe uh, be a little bit skeptical. So I, I think if he can get over that hump, and uh, I imagine that he'll be able to, uh, that uh, he's got everything else, the organizational skills, the blueprint, uh, not just from the Belichick experience, but uh, from everything he's studied uh, and uh, you know the the track record to suggest that the, he he certainly can win in Cleveland. All right. Keep us. I know you'll keep us up to date. You're on this all probably looking at everything. But Steve, I want to thank you so much. It's always always great to talk to you. I I respect you. I love your writing. I love how you report. And Steve Dorshuk, he is the Brown's beat writer for the Canton Repository and just does a terrific job. Steve, thank you so much for spending a half hour with me. Enjoyed uh, a ledge with you there, Joe, and we'll see you next time. Okay, take care. Okay, as promised, some of the news for the week. Lightning round. We, we see that the impeachment trial in the Senate will uh, probably start this week. Finally, and it it was caused by, in case you don't know, you don't see this a lot, is that the Senate Democrats uh, started breaking with Nancy Pelosi at a pretty rapid rate. Joe Manchin started it out, uh, said, I think the trial needs a start. I really do. I, I can't tell the House how to do their business, but we need to start the th- start the trial. And Joe Tester from Montana. We need to get folks to testify. We need more information. But nonetheless, I'm ready, and so on and so on. Many of the senators started breaking and said, uh, we need to get this thing going. So as of this week, we will probably start seeing the impeachment trial actually move to the Senate and start going. Another story this week that came out was uh, the Border Patrol began circulating an intel alert titled Suspected Suicide Board Bomber en route to the U.S. through Mexico. Authorities along the U.S. border are on alert after receiving a law enforcement intelligence warning about a possible suicide bomber, bomber heading north toward the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, this has been something that, that came out. Uh, obviously with the tension between Iran and other places that uh, this came out this week. And and so obviously there's more uh, alert at the border. Um, Also 15, you know, I looked at this board. They, They selected the 15 people other than the modern day era at the Hall of Fame. Uh, and this board that they put together, the Blue Ribbon Panel, is unbelievable. Some of the names on it that they've already selected, they're going to announce uh, Good Morning Football, 
January 15th at 7 a.m., I believe, they will announce the 15 uh, modern era, or not modern era, the, the past members, the contributors, all that stuff. They're going to announce them, and then they will get together and select the final five out of the modern era class. But this panel, Bill Belichick was on it, Gil Brandt, uh, John Clayton, uh, Rich Goslin, Elliot Harrison, Joe Horgan was on it, Dick LeBeau, John Madden, uh, John McCain, McLean, I'm sorry, um, Bill Polian, going on and on. Ron Wolf was on it. Ozzie Newsom was on it. Sal Palantonio. A lot of great names on this list that they picked, so we're going to get that announcement coming up very soon. Um, another story that came out, uh, Tom Brokaw. And I, this was a story that, you know, Tom Brokaw, probably one of the most respected news people in, in our time. Um, although I'd go back to Huntley and Brinkley and some of those people. But um, this was interesting, but he came out, he did a uh, an interview from his office at uh, NBC headquarters. And he says, I think the most extraordinarily powerful tool and the most destructive development in modern life is the current media. And I think he meant all of the media, not, not just the networks and things like that. He said, everybody has a voice. And I've said this for, for a long time, but everybody has a voice, and I think it's great for people to have a voice. But there's no way to verify what's true and what's not. It has no context. It's just 24-7 rage about what's, he said, pissing people off across the board from both the left and the right. It's really true. He also went on to say that Ronald Reagan was the best example in my lifetime of, he said, I was not a huge fan when he first started running, not for president, but for governor of California. Then I saw how skilled he was as a governor at putting together that big, big state. When he ran for president, I said, watch. He knows how to put people together. He had a really core uh, of set beliefs, but he also had an engaging way about him. Uh, He said, I don't know of anyone else since that time. He said, Bill Clinton started it. But then the way he got tangled up with Monica Lewinsky kind of destroyed that. Um, you you also heard this week and the uh, Meghan Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. I don't know if this is abdication. They basically resigned from the royal family. They basically said. We want to be normal people. We want to share our time or divide our time in North America and England. 
and we don't want to have any royal duties anymore. We want to have be independent as far as income, and we want to get away from things, and we just want to be normal. Well, they've given up their royal roles, but they're worth 34 million pounds. And that's because they still get part of Charles' estate. They, uh, he, he, Charles paid his sons 4.9 million pounds last year. And slightly half of that went to, went to Harry, and it's going to continue. So it's not like they're independent. They also kept their house that they own. Uh, through the royal title, that uh, at Frogmore Cottage, it's, I guess that's the name, Frogmore Cottage, and the home was done up for them with uh, four point or two point four million dollars of public money, pounds of of public money. They're keeping the house, so it's not like they're moving into an apartment <laughs> and, and going. You know, really giving it up. They're they're keeping their their money, the thirty four million pounds that they are worth, the money that Prince Charles still gives them from the state, and they're keeping their Frogmore cottage that was done up by the public dole. Uh, but that they are apparently fed up with their their duties. You know, the job market has gotten so good for people that even Taco Bell can't find enough quality people. So they are ever, the Yum Brands Incorporated owns Taco Bell. They are offering people management positions at $100,000 a year. $100,000 a year. Taco Bell on Thursday announced its plan to do this. They are trying, I mean, someone could get a job with experience. You're talking about $100,000 has usually been like the top restaurants. Management of a Taco Bell at $100,000 a year. It tells you a little bit about where the market is right now. This story came out from Vermont this year, or this week. A bill was introduced at the state senate in Vermont, making it illegal for anyone under 21 years of age to have a cell phone. Now, I don't know, this will never get passed, but the bill, it's Senate 212, would make a possession of a cell phone under 21 years of age a misdemeanor punishable by a maximum of one year behind bars and a $1,000 fine. I don't know if this is ever going to pass, but the Internet and social media, they said 
accessed primarily through cell phones, are used to radicalize and recruit terrorists, fast fascists, and other extremists. Cell phones have often been used for mass shooters, younger ages, research, you know, it, it, on and on. The um, they also they also stress in this law that they want to reduce that the the biggest cause of teenage accidents in cars is texting. So this bill is being put through to them. Um, we'll have more. We'll continue. Because Stephen's giving me the dir- dirty eye again, the evil eye to get off. We'll be right back right after this. We're continuing on some of the stories in this lightning round of things that have happened this week. Uh, Georgia police are, are looking for a man they have on video. This is kind of crazy, but he, he we were talking about Taco Bell. Uh, a man in Georgia, Gwinnett County, Georgia, a man broke into a Taco Bell on Christmas Day, climbed through the drive through window. I didn't know they kept those open. I don't think they do, but he broke in, climbed through the the window, was on film, was on tape, you know, he broke in. He actually got in there about 12.15 a.m., started up the fryers, cooked himself a meal, and then took a nap. He was there for about two and a half hours. Cooked himself a knee, meal, took a nap, crawled out of the window. You know, I, there's a part of me that says, well, he did take a laptop with him, so he probably shouldn't have done that. But the guy was probably hungry and tired and cold. Of course, he was in Georgia, but it's still, you know, I... I I want to. I I almost want to feel sorry for him. I don't want to punish him, except he took a laptop, which he shouldn't have done. Um, the majority of a study came out by Reuters that a majority of Americans favor a wealth tax on the very rich. The people who responded to this now I don't know who they polled, but it was four thousand four hundred people, sixty four percent strongly or somewhat agreed that the very rich should contribute an extra share. Now, the reason for this is this. They, when they asked people the reason for this, one of the people said they should do this, uh, the very rich should cha- uh, pay more so that they could support public programs. Another person said, uh, that money could be used in other ways that help people. The problem I see in this whole logic, and when people say that, it's idealistic. They're saying, let's help people. The problem is when the government gets it, you don't know where it goes. The rich could be paying a lot more. Maybe they pay more. Where's the money go when it goes into the government? Is there any accountability as to it actually helping people, why not say, if you're going to do this, why don't we demand that the very wealthy 
give a portion of their money to charities. More. So that people, and, and actually have that accountable, so that they're actually giving money to helping people. Not to go into some other fund that allows something else to happen. Solyndra, GM, Wall Street, whatever. I don't agree with taxing the super wealthy. If you're going to say pay more, show us receipts of the money you gave to charity. Take that extra money that they're not paying now and say, we want you to pay that to help people. We'll give you some names, even if you want it. But it goes directly to people. That's a problem I have with taxes. Is that if you really want to help people, give it to the people. Or give it to the people who you know are helping people. That's the difference. And I think people get caught up in that and they don't think. Oh, we want it to go to the government so the government could help people. Well, they, they don't. They don't. So, all right, when we come back, um, I do want to talk, you know, Israel came out with a breakthrough. They call it a breakthrough. This laser that intercepts missiles and can knock out tanks and stuff. But I want to tell you a personal story from like 1981. That when I read this story, I was like, huh, this has already happened. But we'll talk about it when we come back. Stay tuned. Oh, that isn't what I wanted, but that works. That's Queen. I don't know how that... I love I love that group, but that isn't what I wanted. I was trying to... Now, how do I get it off? All right, there we go. I, um... <laughs> there was a story this week. I was supposed to be playing bread, and somehow Queen got on there, and I don't understand how. Who messed with my phone? Israel announced this week that it had a breakthrough laser intercept missile. The defense ministry... Wait! How do I get this off? There. They won't leave me alone! This show is so organized. Gah! I, um, the, the defense ministry announced that there was a breakthrough in lasers that can actually intercept, intercept aerial threats, including rockets, uh, anti-tank guided missiles, etc. The new laser technology makes the security apparatus more lethal. This basically, uh, takes the place of, uh, rockets and all those things, lasers that can actually work. He said, this is a dramatic solution to rocket fire. We have been working on this for years. Uh, 
and they came up with this this whole it could be they could put it on a mobile unit and the lasers would actually turn and shoot things out of the air uh or they could put it on like a an air uh platform well now i have a story for you and i don't know if i'm i i thought about saying this because there's there's like this security thing that I'm thinking about. But in 1981, I was coaching at the University of Texas, El Paso. I was uh, a younger coach at the time, just starting. I was So I was placed in charge of the summer work program. So I had to, there were like 25 of our players who stayed in the summer, and my goal, my job was to get them jobs in the summer to pay for meals and things like that. Uh, one of the things that happened, one of the companies in El Paso, Texas, uh, was a supporter of the University of Texas at El Paso. And he had a contract with the government to go out and clean, to dust and to clean out a facility at White Sands Missile Range in the desert of New Mexico, which is only about a half hour from El Paso. So I had about 20 young men and myself. I went with them, and we had to get complete security checks. We had to submit our names, all the information. We had to get security checks. We then got on a bus drove the half hour to White Sands Missile Range. You can see nothing out there, nothing. And all of a sudden, there's a road we turn on, a a dusty road we turn on, and you can't see where we're driving. There's nothing on the horizon. You drive about, I'd say, 20 minutes, a half hour down this road in the desert, and you come to a gate. We got, we showed them the security stuff, went through all that, went through the gate, drove back on uh, probably another five minutes. We get to this huge concrete building. This is a, this is a true story. And this is 1981. And, and Israel's announcing this right now. This is when Ronald Reagan, remember the Star Wars thing? All right. So we drive back there. They've got special dusting material and and dust cloths and everything. We go into this facility. They had just finished building it. It was a laser facility. Our goal was we were there for the entire day. We had to climb through the ducts. We had to do everything with supervisors there and military. And we had special dusters and we had things you spray and we had to clean every area of that completely to remove all the dust. They talked to us. They were able to tell us some things, people that were there, but the, the laser sat on a like 30-ton 
concrete slab that was supported and leveled automatically by air. So it leveled it completely and stayed completely level. This is 1981, folks. The people that were working there told us that that laser in New, in the New Mexico desert could hit a postage stamp in L.A. Now, I don't know if that's true, but this facility was huge. And this big piece of this laser that sat there, that they were testing in 1981. Now, I got to believe that they've, that's gone light years to where it is today. But Israel's announcing this now as if this were new technology. This was 1980. When I read this story, I went, wait a minute. They talk about it sits on on air. That Now, they didn't have it that it could travel around and do that stuff. But in 1981, we were developing these out in the middle of a desert in New Mexico. White sands. That whole area. I find that fascinating. I I had to tell you that story because I'll probably get arrested when I walk out by security people, men in black. But I I don't I I doubt it. But that I, I find that how long is the 1981 is like what 30 34 no 30 38 38 years ago they were doing this. It's a long time for then Israel to come out and say, well, we've been working on this for 10 years. They've been working on it a lot longer than that. Somebody has. I know the United States has. All right. We're going to uh, take our last break. And then we're going to come back. We've got a contest to do. Get some updates from John as to whether the Browns have hired a new coach yet, which they haven't. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's contest time. George's Lounge, $25 gift card known for great burgers in downtown Canton. Let's go to caller number two. What's your name, please? Uh, It's Jerry. Jerry. How are you, Jerry? I'm good. How about you? I think I'm doing well. Okay. I'll go get an MRI after the show and make sure. <laughs> okay. All right, Jerry. Um, did you get the answers? Yes, I did. Well, then you're going to get these right, and you're going to win the $25 gift card to George's Lounge, known for great Well, burgers. I have so. Good. You are. Um, well, one of the Browns, out of all the Browns quarterbacks to start their first game for the team, who is the only one that resulted in in a win the first time he started, and that was in uh, since the team returned in 1999. Who was that quarterback? Uh, Jeff, that was Jeff Garcia. You're right. Yes. Nobody else did it. One problem with the Browns of this era was inconsistent quarterback play. 
How many different quarterbacks started for the Browns under just Romeo Cornell? Six. Six. Six different quarterbacks under one coach. All right. Everybody will remember Derek Anderson, Charlie Fry, Brady Quinn, Trent Dilfer, and all that. But actually, there were six of them. In the Cleveland Browns' first ten seasons, who was their main quarterback? Otto Graham. You are brilliant, Jerry. You are brilliant. I am astounded by you. Well, thank you. You're welcome. I'm it going... helps to have the answers ahead of time. Oh, no, give yourself credit. You put them together. Okay. Of, course, of course, I did read them in order I gave them. Well, but... I did look them up, too. Well, you're good. Thank you. So you researched. Yes, I did. All right, Jerry, I'm going to keep you on hold. Put you on hold. Don't hang up. Stephen's going to get all your information. And you could come in this week and pick up your gift card. Okay, thanks so much. You have a great week. Thank you, you too. Thank you. All right. Uh, what did I want to talk about, John? Oh, you think we have it bad. The, the, by the way, I could have done without that poop commercial that came up that I thought we had escaped again, but it didn't happen. Detroit... Detroit, the city of Detroit, had the losingest year in the history of American sports in 2019. The losingest, if that's a word. Explain. Detroit lost 226 games across the big four sports in 2019. I understand because the Tigers really sucked this past Well, they must have all because the Lions, Pistons, Red Wings, and Tigers combined for a 114, 226, and 1 record in 2019. So you think we have it bad? Well, of that 114, like 40 of that came from the Pistons because they actually made the playoffs last year. Okay. And the Red Wings probably won. Yeah, a couple games. But, but 114 wow. and 2. They broke the record for the losingest city in sports in 2019. Did we hold the previous record? No, the previous record was held by New York. Oh. Which lost 219 in 1962. So that record was a long standing record. Is it really fair, though, to say like New York or LA? Because, I mean, like, they each have like 17 teams. Well, but they should not lose that many games. Well, I mean, De- Detroit only has four, which is, which is really more impressive than LA. Or than, I think it's than, a very impressive than, record than than New York. I yeah, mean. they really had to overachieve to lose that many. Because games. because if you're New York, I mean, you have you have the Mets, you have the Jets, you have the Giants, you have the Yankees, you have the uh, Knicks, you have the Islanders. Yeah, I mean, you you have a a cornucopia of a, teams, a, 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 a veritable cornucopia of teams that could just suck. Yes. Well, if you're in Detroit, you only have four. That need to suck. And they did. 
I mean, this is a great record. The more I think about it, John, the more you talk about this. That's what I'm saying. This is an incredible record. It is an incredible feat of futility. It is It is a Mount Rushmore-ish fu- effort of futility. It is a, it is a Himalayan effort. It when, is unbelievable. When those in history have climbed to the top of Mount Everest, not even they have achieved the greatness that, that Detroit, Detroit has in futility, in 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 suckness, if that's a word. And just to think that the one who held it before had the 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 audacity. <laughs> I'm filling in words for you. Of having so many teams. Yes. That could have sucked. So, yes. Whereas Detroit, they just said, you know what? Well, if, hold hold my beer, New York. Well, if Jimmy Haslam had his way, <laughs> has his way. Well, uh, we can just buy the Cavs, buy the Indians, and everything will suck. Yeah. And they'll never, they'll never have a coach. You know, if you I, think I, about it, the year that the Indians and... and Cavs both went to the finals. Obviously, we you know really were in a in a great place. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, the Browns were like what zero and sixteen that year. Yeah, so, remember I mean, Ted Stepien? Yeah, who's throwing what softballs off the top of the terminal tower? Yeah, they had to create a rule, the Stepien rule. That yes, you couldn't like tank a team. Yeah, I mean people have said they need to create the Haslam rule. Like that's actually been in discussion on Twitter. Really. It has been. People have been bringing that up. Remember when we had the first draft pick like every year? It was a great feeling. Yeah, but we, it was great because we'd look at the draft, but then you'd end up with, who'd we end up with? Johnny Manziel and, and who's that other guy? The corner. Justin Gilbert. Yeah. That was a great draft. Great draft. Well, and then the one year we took Danny Shelton. Danny Shelton's still playing, though, at least. And, uh... Cam Irving, who really we should still have on our roster, he could actually benefit our offensive didn't we, line. Didn't we select a guy named Wheaton in the first round? Yeah, Wheaton. Wheaton. Brandon Wheaton. Brandon, that was the draft that we took Trent Richardson and Brandon Wheaton. <laughs> How about that for a draft? Oh. And then there was the year that that we were sitting there on the edge of our seats and everyone was like, why is Brady Quinn just sitting yes, around? Yes. And the Browns are like, hey, everyone. We we don't really want him, but we feel bad for him. Hold our beer. Because <laughs> we're going to take him and he's going to suck. <laughs> we have no coach yet, folks. We may not have a coach. <sighs> you know, they could just put a computer on the sideline and just be like, call plays. Yeah. Make Deep Podesta the head coach. He'd do everything analytically. Well, according that we should run this play on this down and this play on that. No. They're going to get that kid from Little Giants that ran the annexation (laughs) of Puerto Rico. That's going to be their head coach. Oh, my goodness. Have a great week, everybody. Make something great happen. I want to thank everyone involved with this show. I want to thank Steve Dorschick for taking time to come on and make me feel even worse. But Steve does such a great job with the repository. Have a great week. Make something great happen. I'll talk to you next Saturday.